This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the W Debate. Welcome to the W Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back right now. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand, fellas. You jumped up and... Austin Nate, who is going to be that guy. And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. For screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello to Office 51 yards! Bruno, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got it. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> Our apologies to Kirk Street, who ran out of time. We'll get to the reset soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 in the time zone with the least air pollution. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate, brought to you by CampusCant.com. That's Matt Burning. That's Austin Ace, and I'm Felix Sharp on a filtered version of tonight's show. Recruiting visits are opening around the country. What it's like going to through the football camp circuit, how to handle QBs in campus to Canton, drafts, and listener league entries. But we start with Eric Gilbert, the highest rated tight end recruit in 24-7's rankings history. He has a new home at Georgia, but Austin – Rumors are that he's making a switch from tight end to wide receiver. Thoughts on his move and the potential position switch? Which do you guys want to hear me rip first, the landing spot or the position switch? Because I, I can, I, I have them side by side here in my notes. I can talk about either you, one. I want to hear you have a strong opinion about anything. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Um, yeah, you guys set me up for this at the beginning here. <clears throat> so I hate everything about this, and I I. I haven't really heard a lot of people that have anything positive to say about this. First off, position position change wise, he can't play wide receiver. I'm about as sure about something as I can be about that. I mean, he in high school, I know these guys can get faster in, in college and everything. You know, Justin Jefferson famously ran like a four eight or whatever, and Saquon ran a very four, uh, slow forty in high school as well. But I mean, Gilbert measured in at the opening before he graduated at at six five two fifty three. With a four seven forty, like a, a very a four five shuttle, and those shuttle times are always extremely inflated. Like he's just not quick enough. He's too big. I don't think he can lose twenty pounds, which is the minimum that he'd have to lose to be able to actually play wide receiver. He's not a particularly sharp route runner. I mean, 
he is for a tight end, but he's not for a wide receiver. He's not he's not the same fluid athlete that Kyle Pitts is because I know that's what he's seeing. He's seeing Kyle Pitts basically be a wide receiver function that way and, and thinking he can do it too. I don't think he's capable of doing that. And so, I mean, if it's a money thing for him, like he just wants to be designated as a wide receiver, I think he's going to lose himself money because he's not going to go on day one and he's not going to probably go on day two as a wide receiver. I just don't think he has it in his, his toolbox to be able to work that position uh, correctly. On top of that, Georgia is a horrific landing spot for him. They already have one soft-ass tight end there that doesn't want to block and just basically favors himself as a wide receiver and Darnell Washington. So, and I don't think he's like he he's better than Darnell Washington, but he's not so much better than he's going to bench him. So you're hoping that he they play side by side with an overflowing wide receiver room, even without George Pickens. You have Kiaris Jackson, you have Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, Marcus Roseme. Justin Robinson, Adonai Mitchell, like uh, Dominic Blaylock, all, all these guys still there that were all high four-star kids or five stars, and in a, a run-heavy offense that, that averages thirty or fewer passing attempts each year over the last three years. I, I don't know which part of this we're supposed to like. It nukes his college fantasy value. It nukes his C two C value. Maybe you hold him in a Debbie league just so you hope that he shifts back to tight end, but this it sucks. Uh, it's it's the stupidest thing ever. I don't know what he's doing. I disagree with you somewhat because I don't think that they're going to ask Eric, let's say hypothetically that he plays quote unquote wide receiver. I don't think that they're going to ask him to run double moves and you know long go routes. I think what they were going to ask him to do is some of the things that they would ask George Pickens to do. Run these drag routes, run, get contested catches, do uh, slant stuff like that. I think if you have a six foot five, 243 pound guy who's coming from the outside and he's running these, these long drag routes and catches the ball on the run and turns up field, that's going to be a problem for safeties and defensive backs uh, to tackle. If you just have him kind of running, uh, kind of fades and goes and comeback routes, simple stuff that doesn't, and I agree with you on the lateral agility piece. He's not, someone who's going to beat people with his footwork or his quickness or being sudden, but he is a load once he starts moving. And I just think that they can have him do some simple routes, get contested catches. And I think he would be fine. I think what this is, is Eric Gilbert absolutely trying to get the bag. He wants to show NFL teams that he can play outside. We just saw Kyle Pitts go number six overall and I have to believe that this is Eric Gilbert attempting to improve his draft stock to the maximum that it could be. He was already a highly touted player. But if you're saying I'm going to go to Georgia and play wide receiver, he's trying to push himself into the top 10 where uh, where we just saw Kyle Pitts taken. So I I agree with the, the with a lot of the foundation of what you said, Austin, as far as his athletic skill set, it's not a traditional wide receiver. But if we kind of dumb down what we ask him to do and do some things that fit his long lumbering athletic skill set, then he could be successful in that role. At least that's my opinion. Bruning, what uh, what do you think about about Eric Gilbert, his move to quote unquote wide receiver, and just the transfer overall? 
I actually really agree with Austin on this. And I, I don't think this is going to help his NFL draft value at all. I mean, we all expected him to be this highly transcendent tight end back from when 247 Sports came out and rated him, I believe, as like the highest tight end prospect ever, right? So we expected him to be this next guy. We've been putting him way above Michael Mayer, who's actually gone out of the field and proven it. And that's the one thing I think we're all forgetting here. Eric Gilbert hasn't proven a damn thing on the college level. And now you want him to go out there and prove that he can be a good wide receiver. He's not going to be a wide receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. And Kyle Pitts has at least proven it on the NFL field that he can do what Eric Gilbert wants. Now, maybe Gilbert goes out there and proves it, and I'll change my tune at that point. But I need to see it. I don't necessarily hate the spot as much for Georgia. I do think JT Daniels showed toward the back end last year, they can be more of a passing offense. I do think he's a competent quarterback. Losing a George Pickens, I think, will help Gilbert if he is able to transition somewhat into some wide receiver role. But just looking at it, base value right now after everything that has been said by them and Georgia and him landing there, I don't think it's a great move for him. And I do think it's going to hurt his NFL future because I think they want him to be a tight end, not necessarily a wide receiver. And if he's going out there and not showing anything on the tight end game, I, I think it's going to hurt him. I hope I'm proven wrong, but I, I don't think this is a good move at all. Austin, if you think about what they have there at Georgia, it's a strong running game. you got Darnell Washington who's going to line up at tight end. Um, no George Pickens. Uh, Jermaine Burton, one of the fastest players in college football, he's going to uh, – stretch the field. You got Kiaris Jackson probably in the slot. Don't you think that there's a, a space for a big-bodied contested catch, quote-unquote, wide receiver to kind of fit to do, to do some of the things that George Pickens would have been asked to do? I don't know because I think you have to run two tight end stuff now, basically, with Washington there. Because, again, they're not going to bench Washington for him. You know, they might rotate them or whatever, but they're not going to bench him. He's going to get a, a decent amount of snaps. So you figure if you have to, even if he's functioning as a wide receiver, I mean, it's basically going to be like a two tight end look, which basically then either nukes your ability to, uh, it, well, it takes Karis Jackson off the field, who's their their slot guy and, and their most proven wide receiver at that point, I think. I don't think you can really operate all three of those guys in the field at the same time effectively. Plus the running backs that they want to use in the passing game. You figure Burton's probably the guy that's going to stretch the field, him or Arian Smith. So I I just don't know how all those pieces come together. I, I really, really don't. Especially, you know, if he's transitioning to wide receiver, I'm also assuming that that means that he wants to block less. And like and Washington doesn't want to block. Like there were a ton of clips of Washington just blowing blocks last year because he doesn't want to do it. So can you effectively run with both with a you know with a with a two tight end set and you can't effectively run out of that? Like I think they're gonna have some issues with fit there. I really, really do. I think I'm I guess I'm just a little bit more optimistic. Georgia, one of these teams that is kind of playoff or bust or national championship or bust, especially with Alabama being down. They've got a lot of moving pieces there. So um uh the Bulldogs bringing in Gilbert, absolutely you know, puts them in prime position to make a run this year if they can get out of the SEC unscathed. All right. Um, the As a result of the pandemic, the NCAA instituted this dead recruiting dead period where schools could not conduct in-person recruiting. Well, the dead period was lifted effective yesterday, June 1. So we're going to st start seeing visits, camps, 
including the elite camps, Nike camps, rivals camps, all that stuff. Um, and that's going to give us the information about who's who, who has the highest spark score, who has the highest 40 time vertical jump, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to ask you guys about uh, some players that you're tracking as far as their camps and visits and whatnot. But I do want to just provide a little, I mean, you know, back in the day, I did this camp thing. I would go to uh, Michigan and UCLA camp every year. And um, Nike, I've been to Nike camp, Rivals camp, and I just want to explain a little bit about what that is. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to assume people know, but these schools are trying to re- recruit players. They hold these camps every year. Um, and at both Michigan and UCLA, you are coached by the actual, you know, if you're a wide receiver, you're coached by the wide receiver coach um, uh, in that group. At Michigan, it was Eric Campbell, who's now the wide receiver coach at Bowling Green. I, I played wide receiver and quarterback. And so Scott Leffler, who's the head coach at Bowling Green, was my coach, position coach, when I would go to Michigan camp and play wide receiver for, or quarterback for a few days. And then Eric Campbell, um, when I would play uh, wide receiver. At UCLA, it was Dino Babers. Dino Babers is now the head coach at, um, at Syracuse. You get these kids going in there. They absolutely put them into groups kind of based on what they've seen from those kids in years past. There's like an A group and a B group. You have a schedule for that week that pretty much starts from like 7.30 until about 8 at night, between 7.30 and about 5 or so before dinner. You're doing all of these football drills, competitions, one-on-ones. They want to see what you look like. There's a combine where you got to do your 40-time vertical jump, all we, there was weightlifting at Michigan. The uh, weight training coach coach's name was Mike Gittleson, who's kind of a uh, was well known back when he was still with with uh, Michigan. Um, and they just kind of test you and test you and test you. And then at the end of the day, both camps did this at UCLA and at um, at at Michigan. They play some sort of scrimmage football that keeps moving. At Michigan, they would call it Air Force football where it's almost like rugby where the ball keeps keeps going and they just want to see how you can compete. Kids get offers from these camps. You run the 40 time, it elective at Michigan, it would be in their practice facility which is right next to the softball field and it was electronic time and all the kids would be complaining about electronic time because as soon as you lift your hand off of that little button, the time stops and you know, you got kids running four sevens and everybody would swear they ran four five and four four if it wasn't if it wasn't electronic time. Um, you would see kids coming into the camp two or three days late and they would immediately get put in the front of the line. Those were the kids that the teams were obviously looking at. I remember one year at Michigan, it was Joyk Bell. Joyk Bell, who played at Benton Harbor and played for the for the Detroit Lions. Um, he was one of those kids, at least at Michigan, who uh, uh you know, would come in late and and they would put him right at at, at the at the front of the line. Um, it's gruel. I mean, it's grueling if you are doing two or three of those camps a year. The the school camps, the Nike camp, the one day Nike camps or rivals camps. Um, but but that's how kids get offers. That's how kids get offers. Kind of showing how athletic they are. Obviously, I didn't show how athletic I was. I ended up going to. Uh, Grand Valley State University and never really playing there. So that is what the camp circuit is like. I do want to add that while I was at UCLA, um, Eric Bieniemy, 
the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs was a running backs coach at the time uh, while I was there. So um, had to add one more name drop before I move on. All right, um, Matt, who are some players? And I, if you all have any questions about that, whatever. Uh, Matt, but who are some players that you're tracking uh, this camp and in-person recruiting cycle? If you have any questions, you can stay for the after show, and I'm sure Felix will answer all of them. I mean, uh, two that I think are kind of linked together. I don't imagine either one of them will change, but they've been linked together here for a while. That's Quinn Ewers and Malik Murphy. There's still some belief that maybe, even though Quinn Ewers keeps talking, he's 100% committed to Ohio State. You know, until he signs on that dotted line, I'm going to doubt it a little bit, especially with Sark coming in there. He is a Texas kid. He always wanted to play for UT. I do think Sark coming in there – if he is given a chance to actually come to Austin and, and meet with Sark and everything where he wasn't before because of the recruiting dead periods, maybe they're able to sway him. And if that does happen, what does that do for Malik Murphy? I mean, I tweeted out something about Malik Murphy the other day. A bunch of other people have been talking about it after him winning that, uh, I think it was the deep throw competition or something like that. He threw 79 yards where I believe, uh, I think it was Ben Eby posted that like the NFL record is 80 yards. So he fell a yard short as a senior in high school, which is just ridiculous. Uh, but he is, uh, he's, he's about 70, according to 247 Sports, he's about 70% committed to Texas, but Alabama and Arizona are still both in it, so maybe could one of those teams sway him? It'd be crazy to see if Alabama did, obviously, with the with the quarterbacks they have coming up the pipeline. Uh, Dante Moore is another guy I want to talk about. He's a 2023 guy, so he's a little bit further out. He's the number three quarterback in that class. Uh, he is visiting Ohio State. He just actually scheduled a visit to Ohio State. Why this matters is he actually grew up in the Detroit area. Uh, he is, I believe he's already visited Michigan state. He's going to visit Michigan soon as well, but he lived in Cleveland and is a Buckeye fan. So that is interesting to me as well. Could he possibly sign there with, uh, with Quinn Ewers possibly on the, the come up there with the, with the Buckeyes. Uh, then one other guy that I wanted to mention, uh, five-star Kevin Coleman, uh, 5'11", 170. He is not committed at all yet in this 2022 class. Uh, the top schools are Bama, Arizona State, Florida State, Oregon. Excellent route runner. Uh, rarely loses speed when he's diving in and out of his routes and making his cuts. I think he's a big playmaker, but punt returner as well. He's a guy that I'm really intrigued by. And, I mean, he's not – Anybody, there's no lead on any of those schools. So I think he's a guy that once he's able to get in some of these visits uh, could really impact things. Again, Bama, the top school right now. I mean, if a guy like him ends up going to Bama, I think we can take the moniker away of Ohio State recruiting all these top end guys because Bama is just going to continue to stay loaded. Austin, who are some guys you're tracking? Yeah, so I, I think my 2022 guy that I put down here is Trevante Citizen just because there's some buzz that – that he's not as locked into LSU as as it's seemed uh, recently, and because I just love talking about Devontae Citizen, um, so why not? Um, he's my RB three next year in the class. I think he's RB thirteen in the composite, but it feels like I was I was chatting about this on Twitter the other day with somebody, and uh, he feels to me like a bit like Jameer Gibbs, not stylistically, but Jameer Gibbs was the RB nine in his class, and I can remember all the Devi guys and and C2C and CFF guys saying this kid's way better than RB nine. If you look at most of the people's rankings that know things, they had him as like a top three or four guy in that class. And he's proven to be that a citizen is the, is that guy in this year's class. He really, really is. It, it would not shock me if he's a, an early day two NFL guy when all is said and done. Um, and he would have been my RB two in this class significantly ahead of Will Shipley. Um, who, who was my next guy after Henderson um, six foot two seventeen? I don't think he's actually two seventeen, but 
but he's a, he's big and he he has potential to be six foot two seventeen. Um, and the, the thing, and I mean, I have my notes here. I don't really need to read them, but he's a really good pass catching back. You know, he's a really nice feel for the running back position. He just he's really really well rounded, and he has a bunch of visits coming up. Um, uh, Louisiana this cycle has just a ton of running backs in high school that are really, really good. Um, including, um, ETN's brother is in the group. Um, so he's looking at Texas, Texas A&M, USC, Arkansas. And from what it sounds like, they all have a legitimate shot to get this kid. And I think with how LSU has struggled really to develop any of these running backs they've brought in over the past couple of years, it's a very full depth chart, even with Trey Bradford announcing that he's leaving today. Um, it's a tough one. So I, I could see him leaving there. So I think he's going to be a hot, a hot name as this circuit goes on. And then I put down Arch Manning as well. And I have Arch. I think he's like co number one quarterback in his class. I like the other kid more Malachi Nelson. He's going to Oklahoma as of now. Uh, Arch has no, has made no decision on where he's going and he's between like a ton of schools, but he has five visits scheduled for early on here. Uh, Clemson, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and SMU. One of these things is not like the others, um, but he's looking everywhere. He's from Louisiana, so it's a little surprising that LSU is not on the list at all. But maybe you know that's that's an easier one for him to get to. I don't really know, um, but you know, nephew of Peyton and, and Eli and son of Cooper and a five-star Manning kid is going to draw just crowds everywhere he goes. So I think that's another one that I'm interested to see where he ends up. Because I mean, if you look at you know Tennessee and Ole Miss. Not not on that list, and that's where you'd think maybe he'd have some visits scheduled there with the family connections. Do you think there's a chance that Texas becomes the draw that Alabama and Oklahoma were for quarterbacks because of Sarkeesian? I think so, and I don't – this is what I actually really don't get about the Ewers thing. Why he, A, committed so early, and then why he decommitted and recommitted somewhere else so early with all this time left. I think he's kind of boxed himself into a corner a little bit with whether it's legitimate or not. Like you'd hear how people talk about Zach Evans from last year who had a bit or Brew McCoy, who the year before that was USC. And then he switched to Texas and then he transferred back to USC like immediately. Like, and and you hear how people talk about talk about those guys as, as, you know, is this a character problem? Is there something wrong with this kid that he can't get along with people and, and, and so on and so forth. So I don't know why Ewers did that. He had no need to do that. But yes, I think you know. I, I think Texas is going to be a hot spot here um, over the next couple of years. I mean, I, I would think he decommitted from Texas because of uh, Herman. I, I don't know if there was a lot of talk about them firing. I think that's the reason he decommitted. I agree with you on the committing to Ohio State. How much of that was maybe the pandemic, and we not? I mean, we're just now getting these restrictions lifted on visits. There's a lot of talk that that may not even have happened now. So maybe that has something to do with. It. I agree with you on the committing part too to Ohio State, maybe you wait a little bit. The the Texas thing, I think, was more of maybe he didn't see the writing on the wall for Herman, so he's kind of like, I'm going to get out of here now while I have the chance. All right, well, speaking of quarterbacks, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, It seemed like if you started um, C2C drafts last year and your startups, there were so many guys to pick from, from all the guys who went in the first round uh, this year. But then you also had in the, in the third and fourth rounds, you could get DJ Uyagalele and, um, and, and Bryce Young. Man, the quarterback 
talent pool seems really, really shallow in college in 2022. Um, I'm in two drafts and it just feels, it, it just feels like that problem is a, it, how do we, how do we target that position? It's a problem in Austin. Um, you mentioned recently that Jackson Dart is the last quarterback in a specific tier that you felt comfortable grabbing. Um, uh, talk to me about that tier and, and why is Dart the last, the last man standing there? Yeah, I want to preface this just by saying, you know, this Debbie debate, this is a, you know, a Debbie show and I, we give Debbie advice. So I just want to preface this by saying that I'm not taking Dart and Debbie, pure Debbie drafts, unless it's a, an extremely deep league. Like the only, I play in some, the only one that I have him in is a 24 teamer where, and it's just like extremely deep. So I have Jackson Dart in that. But otherwise, I wouldn't take him in, in a Debbie draft. But for C2C purposes, uh, he's my, my QB 16. And, you know, I look at the names I have ahead of him here just to list them off real quick. DJU, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Bryce Young, Jaden Daniels, CJ Stroud, Carson Strong, Matt Corral, Tyler. Apparently, we've all been saying this wrong, even though phonetically it's so Butchner or Buchner. I don't I don't know. Uh, JT Daniels, Malik Willis, Sam Heward, Keaton Slovis, Grayson McCall, Caleb Williams, and then Mr. Dart. Those are the 16 names that I feel moderately comfortable saying that they're probably going to make it to the NFL. And even then I have some serious concerns with McCall, Slovis, Willis, Daniels. Like I I have some serious concerns about a lot of these guys, but I at least feel like they're going to get day one or early day two draft capital. Most of them. But the reason why darts the cutoff as opposed to maybe like, uh, you know, some of the other kids in his class, like Ty Thompson or who's at Oregon, Drake may UNC, um, some of these other understudy type guys, I guess we could call them, is that Dart is damn near guaranteed to start once Slovis leaves. I feel very, very, very confident saying that. Starting quarterback at USC, like if you look at the last decade of USC quarterbacks, now granted NFL success is <laughs> very mixed bag here, but you have Slovis from 2019 to current, JT Daniels in 2018, Sam Darnold 2016-2017, Cody Kessler 13-15, to 15, Matt Barkley 10-12. to 12. And Barkley was a hot name before he injured his shoulder. So, like, the, the, I mean, the, and all those guys got drafted at the NFL. So, I think whoever is the quarterback at, at USC is a, a good guy to have. They have Graham Harrell there. Granted, I don't know how long Grant Harrell, Graham Harrell is for this world, but he's there now with his spread offense. I don't know how long Helton's going to be there. Um, but like, I, I have concerns about whether Ty Thompson's actually the, pred- the, the successor at Oregon. I have concerns about whether Drake may is actually the successor at UNC. I have concerns about Jake Garcia being the actual successor at Miami. I'm trying to think of some of these other guys that are, that are kind of names. You know, I, I don't like Haynes King. I don't think he's that good. I Hudson card apparently can't beat out Casey Thompson. Like the, these are all huge concerns and, and you know marks on on people's profiles so that's why for me dart is the last guy there and even and like i said even then you know like caleb williams we like him because he's at oklahoma i'm not sure how much i love like caleb williams the player uh, same with you know slovis or, or or some of these guys so it's it's very very murky right now i'm, I'm team zero qb all the way but i think matt's going to talk about that here in a few I mean, it is murky because you have a lot of these freshmen, these players who haven't um, played at the top of our rankings, which is why, quite frankly, I don't have a problem if somebody wants to take Matt Corral or Carson Strong in the first round of a C2C. I, I just, if you want to shore up um, 
the quarterback position. Bruning, how are you attacking the quarterback position in C2C drafts? I've actually come around to Austin's zero QB strategy that that he kind of started with a lot of our mocks earlier this season. You know, I, I say that in if a Hal or DJ foul, fall, they're the two that I like the most out of those top guys that Austin named. If they fall into the second round, I'm going to take them. But right now, those guys are not making it out of usually the top three or four. Those are usually the within the top three picks. And I, I'm I have just as many questions about them as as Austin does and some other people. I don't think Rattler is a for sure thing. I've been doing more watching of a film of him lately. And me, you, Felix, you, me, and Brandon Lejeune were talking about him a little bit this morning. Like I'm getting more and more questions about Rattler. I like Hal, but I don't think he does anything. You know, to use the term elite that would separate him at the NFL level. I like his overall game, but is he going to be, again, I see him as more of like a, I've said before, a Baker Mayfield. As much as I love Baker, he's not a top quarterback at the NFL level. I have questions about DJU, Bryce Young. So I've faded quarterbacks. I don't even like what you just said about taking Matt Corral or Carson Strong in the first or even second round. I think the reason Matt Corral stands out to me is because his ADP is at 53 right now. Okay, I'm, I'm willing to take a shot at him in the fourth round. I feel like you're getting a good couple, three good players and taking him. You know, I've seen Carson Strong because of this hype on him. Going in like the second round, I mean, look, I we, I think, as a group, were the first on Carson Strong. There's a lot of people saying they were the number. No, no, no. Felix was the first person talking about him. Then I jumped on him and started talking about him. We were the first guys talking about Carson Strong, Felix in general. Second round's a little much for me in a C2C league because, I mean, I, I don't want to take it just because he was like a one-star coming out of high school. Can, but, can I jump in here? Can I jump ahead, in here, though? Ahead. Yeah. Because – People are going to look at their rosters after the first or second round and say, I don't have somebody that I'm comfortable with. And the, like, how do you resolve that? I'm going to answer And I that think that you have – yeah, I think that you push these guys up the board. I, the, I mean, the, after the top four, the next guys that I'm comfortable with are Carson Strong, are Matt Corral. Yep. I mean, after that it would be Caleb Williams, and he's – such a projection and so far out from being in the NFL. It's like, yeah, like let, let's put, let's push up the guys who we think have a chance to be like back into the first round, second round draft picks in strong and corrals. Go, go ahead. So the reason I, how convicted are you that corral or strong are going to be NFL draft picks? You feel yeah. messy. I, I mean, a hundred percent. I think Strong's a bigger question mark than people want to see. I agree. I and agree it, with you. That's why I'm bringing draft it up. Picks? You don't think they're yes. going to get drafted? What do you mean? For no, the no, first no. round. Drafted. After the first round, I don't care like yeah. about them. That and so. I say the same thing about Corral. Like I get, you know, we we were you've comped him to Jameis Winston with his with the uh, with. I mean, he's got great playmaking ability, but here making the bad decision. If he goes back out there and has a couple five interception games again, I don't see him going in the first round. So you're now putting your whole team on these two guys where if, if Carson Strong can, I like Carson Strong a lot. I think he's going to go out there and have a phenomenal season for Nevada, but he's not quite as athletic as we see this NFL shifting heavily toward these past couple of drafts with quarterbacks. If he ends up getting late second or third round draft capital, that does nothing for me in a super flex league. It likely means he's not going to start. Same thing with Matt Corral. So realistically, you're now putting your second round pick where you can get a Rakeem Jarrett, a Zach Evans, a... I don't even Travion Henderson, which again is he's a bit more projection than the other two. In the second round, you're going to take one of those two guys. I think Zach Evans is a, is a projection. I mean, that's I guess that's my point. My point is is that college football is in a place right now where 
there's a lot of projecting of these players. The players that we value are freshmen. We're valuing the 2023 class. I mean, I'm looking at the the most recent draft that I just did. Kendall Milton is going in the second round. Marshawn Lloyd is going in the second round. Jace McClellan, um, Travion Henderson. Like if I could, if you, if I could, those players versus a player that I think is going to get be a first round NFL quarterback. I'm not going to fight with somebody because they took that player over this projected running back. It just so happens that we don't have Najee Harris or, or Devonta Smith or Rondell Moore or like the, the, the pool of guys that we have faith in is very shallow this year compared to last year. So if you're going to take, if you're going to roll the dice at that position in super flex league, all of these C2C leagues are super flex leagues. Then I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to fight with somebody because they take corral or they take strong give. I agree with you about the flaws on their profile, but I'm saying that there aren't players being taken there are players being taken before them that also have flaws that are also projections at, at positions that aren't as valuable. But there's a better chance, of my opinion, that the running backs and wide receivers pan out because if they get the third round draft capital, that matters more than a quarterback getting third round draft capital. That's my point. Zach Evans, if he goes out and does what he did last year at TCU, which wasn't great, but it was good enough. If he ends up getting drafted in the third round in a couple of years, he immediately now has more capital than Carson Strong getting drafted in the third round or Matt Corral getting drafted in the third round. And you're passing on, on guys like Zach Evans and Rakeem Jarrett for those guys. And my point on that is you're going, it depends on how you look at things. So I agree with you. If you really believe Carson Strong has first round draft capital, I have no issue with you taking him in the second round. I'm not as sold on that as other people are. I like him. I need to see more of them this year. There's a lot of guys that I think you can take dart throws on, though, later in drafts that are now not costing you anything because they're getting pushed so far down boards that I'd rather just go zero QB and then grab a Hudson card in the 20th round. Peter Costelli, Jackson Dart, Jake Garcia, Phil Jerkovich. I mean, I know you guys don't like Grant Cannell. Grant Cannell, Baron Morton out of Texas Tech, Ty Thompson. All these guys are going double digit rounds you could seriously load up i mean austin you're in a draft with me you've seen this is the strategy i've taken i've got eight qbs if two of those guys hit all of which i've taken after the 15th round in my opinion i i've won because i didn't waste my second round pick on carson strong i got rakeem jared and travion henderson in the first and second round and then i got guys who have nfl chances in my opinion yes they're dart throws they're bigger dart throws than carson strong and matt corral but if any of those guys hit I have now, in my opinion, won the draft. I've won just based on value alone. So I've gone into fading quarterbacks and grabbing all these guys I think have upside later in the draft because they're going. So, I mean, Baron Morton, who I'll, I'll talk about more later, we get his ADP right now is 360. He's the 120th quarterback off the board. And if he goes out there and produces in a Texas Tech offense, which I think he will, and ends up getting drafted in a couple years in the first round or second round, I got a steal. 300 ADP of 300 120th quarterback off the board give me that's him a lot of that's strong that's a lot of what that's a lot of what what ifs with Aaron it is Lord. but you, you're, th- you have a lot of what ifs with Carson Strong and Matt Corral as well that's my point fewer 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 and I would Maybe also say I would also say that the NFL is not going to stop drafting quarterbacks in the first round just just because they shouldn't be first round quarterbacks. We saw we saw Mac we saw Mac Jones taken the first round. We've saw we've seen Johnny Manziel take it. We saw Jordan Love's taken in the first round. So 
I, I just I the, the Browns the took last, a fifty year old in the first round one time. I that's think true. That was, that was, Wheaton, that was a bad franchise back then, though. Come I in, we've changed. Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm just saying that someone like Carson Strong. Once you get to pick, once you get past Hal and Rattler. And there's a team that needs a quarterback. They're not just going to say, all right, well, we're just going to – because this class is weak, we're not going to take a quarterback here. There's a lot of dumb NFL organizations, and they're going to they're going to dra- they're going going to to push up the value of these quarterbacks like Corral, like Carson Strong, like Malik Willis. like We saw Emory Jones projected for number six overall by PFF. Yeah, that's PFF, couldn't man. Beat like, out I'm, Felipe, I'm sorry. Felipe Franks. Couldn't beat out Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. I mean – but I guess the point being is, is that we are going to see some guys, the, their value is going to be pushed up. And I'm looking at the quarterbacks that I'm seeing taken in the first, second, third rounds of these C2C leagues. And I, if I had to j- project, I would say, yeah, it's Matt Corral, the guy who's going to throw for 4,000 yards. And if he can get the turnovers together, then he's going to be a first round pick. It's going to be Carson Strong because he has the requisite arm strength and he's going to put up you know, crazy numbers in Nevada's system. It's 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 a risk. I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm just saying that if if you want to feel comfortable about that position, first of all, it's not going to happen after 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 the top four. But if you want it, like the best bets for getting first round draft capital, in my opinion, next year would be those two guys. After that, I feel good about Caleb Williams because, quite frankly, because of what he showed in the spring game and the system that he's going to. I mean, with, you know, all they do is produce first and second round quarterbacks. I'm not building my team around Baron Morton. Like, I, that's my, like, kind of that's my point around players like that. As opposed to Baron Morton, like, I would rather take Brock Purdy late and I can start him and he's going to go to the senior bowl and get drafted probably never be anything but in my opinion that's a better shot than someone like Morton who I who uh, Alan True brought him up as being a player that he thought could perform but building my team around a player like that feels really shaky. Austin, will you jump in here, please? This is like we're going well, back I, to the old days. I have days one more thing to first. say, and, and I actually would like to hear what Austin's thought on this. I think a lot of this, too, is you guys are, are caring too much about the NFL side. You're projecting too much on something we know nothing about. NFL teams, you just mentioned, get this wrong, what, 50% of the time if I'm being nice, and we're expecting us fantasy analysts to get that right. When I, when I say that I'm going for these guys, it's because I'm going 100% on I just want to win the college side. And I think getting guys like this late are going to not only help me win the college side, but if they do give me some kind of possible draft capital in the future, again, that's why I think I've, I've won the draft. Yeah, I mean, Carson Strong and Matt Corral were – I don't have last year's ADP in front of me. I mean, I wasn't keeping this last year. I don't know where they were going, but it sure shit wasn't first three rounds. Or if that person is either a witch or has a time machine, you need to go find that person if they took one of those guys in the first couple rounds. I get the value argument. I really, really like the positional value argument. Um, I personally don't really rank and work on positional value. So, like, you know, I, I don't necessarily value the quarterback more unless I'm very, very sure about them. And like we've been just said for the past 15 minutes, the only guys that we're pretty sure about, not even that sure, are DJU, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, and Bryce Young. I think outside of that, I don't really feel good about any of these guys. I really, really think the strategy if you're in a C2C this year is because the NFL, I think more than a lot of years in recent memory, I feel really good about the first guy, the guy quarterbacks going the first couple rounds. 
I'll double dip or triple dip in the first four rounds of a, a NFL side of a draft. And then I will basically try to trade back from there, stack up on college picks and grab a bunch of RBs early. I think that's really the strategy this year. And you punt quarterback early. I, I think that's how you do it. You smash running back early, you hit wide receiver rounds like four through 10, and then you start snagging, you know, BPA at that point. I really, really think that's the way to go. I, the rosters that I've built doing it that way, feel superior to me because Malik Willis is no longer falling. You know, however you feel about Malik Willis, he's no longer falling. Caleb Williams. I'm about to finalize our, our may uh, ADP here. We have one more draft left to finish up. Uh, Caleb Williams is no, his ADP is 31. Now he's gone 38th, 25th, 46th, 24, 24. So even that 46 is probably an anomaly. He's probably going round two, very, very early round three. Um, same with, you know, C.J. Stroud, a guy we've never seen play in college, going 25th overall. I mean, it, it, people are just reaching on some of these guys because there are no other options. And I'd rather somebody else reach for C.J. Stroud at 25 overall, and I will dust my hands off and take Josh Downs, or who I think I feel a lot better about him going to the NFL, or even, you know, Chris Olave, or Jace McClellan, Rakeem Jarrett. Like, these are guys that are all going in that range. I would much rather have because i just think they feel like a more sure thing but again i don't necessarily do the positional value thing that's just not how i operate on the college side all right well audience members shoot us an email at debbie debate at gmail.com let us know what you are doing um at the quarterback position in your campus to canton startup leagues and are there guys that you have faith in beyond dj uyagalele bryce young sam Hallen? Uh, and Spencer Rattler. Send us an email and the um, the best email will get in the listener league. The best email about the, uh, a strategy for what to do beyond the top four at the quarterback position will get in the list, listener league. And Austin, speaking of the listener league, we have another um, uh, entry that's, uh, that's getting in. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, and thank you so much for clipping it so small that I can barely read the entry here on the show sheet. Um, so this one comes from Reginald Lowry. And I don't know if you, well, you use your salutation says, thanks, Reg. So I'm assuming you go by Reg. Uh, and Reg just said, hey, guys, love the pod and all the great content you, you guys are producing. My name is Reg and I reside in Los Angeles, California, by way of Detroit, Michigan. So that's really why Felix picked this particular person. I'm also a member of CampusToCanton.com, so full-fledged supporter here. I would be honored to join the league if selected. I'm one of those fantasy nerds being in nine leagues for our C2C. Last year was my first year playing the format, and now I can't. I just can't get enough, LOL. Again, it would be an honor if I'm selected and keep doing what you guys are doing. Peace and love. Thanks, Reg. So now that I know that he's from Detroit, I can see why this entry got selected tonight. But congrats, Reg. You will be in the listener league along with um, who did we pick last week? Logan. Is that, is that his name? Or? That's right. Yeah, Logan. Perfect. So there's our first well, we've two. Got, so. We've got nine, nine more. Uh, you didn't say what up, though, Austin. You got to tell. I don't know if I have that in me. <laughs> Where does it say what up, though? I don't even see that. <laughs> Where does it say? It says right there in parentheses after, the, after Detroit yeah. Michigan. Felix, what yeah. up, though? Yeah, it says it right there. Uh, all right. Um, Brandon, hey, get in here. What did we get wrong? Actually, uh, I it pleasantly 
surprised that uh, nothing, nothing. You guys did a great job tonight. I, I have one. Matt said that that, that Eric Gilbert has done anything. He wow. he's he he played four fewer games than than Mayor last year and finished with seven fewer catches and like eighty fewer yards. Okay, he outproduced him per on a per game basis by like a good amount. So it's just you said he hasn't done anything, but Michael yeah. Mayer has, and it's like he outproduced Michael Mayer last year. Okay, well, so, I, don't, I don't think he's he's proven anything to me. So okay, just throwing that out there. All right, check out the content all around the campus, the Canton family. But that is going to be our show tonight. Uh, apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We ran out of time because I'm sitting there arguing with Bruning, but we will get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter and Bob caught it. Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.